Good morning, church. It's good to be here today. Always good to see you. All right. Everybody knows there's a fish fry going on a little bit, so just um, be excited about that, and we'll get there in a few minutes, but let's get through God's Word first. Amen? A mother took her little son shopping one day. They spent the whole entire day shopping, every store they could hit. A clerk handed the little boy at the end of the day a lollipop. What do you say, the mother said to the little boy. The little boy looked at the clerk and said, put it on the credit card. <laughs> like it or not, this mother had an influence in the life of her child. We too, as Christians, all of us, Christians and non-Christians, we have influence on other people. But as Christians, we are certainly to have a, an influence on the world in which we live. And we know the world in which we live is not always the greatest place <laughs> in the world, if you will, and particular times in our history. We've seen that. But nonetheless, we are Christians, and this is our time. And we are to have an influence on those around us. Now, we discovered, if you were here last week, we discovered um, that some interesting things about a character by the name of Daniel in the Old Testament. Now, a, an entire book is given to his name in the Old Testament, of course, now, we, most of us know the story, or we know parts of the story of the book of Daniel. The ones that might be interesting to us, of course. Now, we discovered last week that faith, his faith in God, was remarkable to say the least. In fact, it was so powerful, and it was witnessed to be able to see what it is that he could do, even in the very first few verses of chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. His influence on his three friends at the time were life-changing and will continue to be as we study through this um, together over the next few weeks. Now, before we get to the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3 of the fiery furnace that we all like to talk about and all like the end result of that, we need to talk a little bit about the integrity of a person. Last week I mentioned that I would speak to the integrity of a person and the importance of it as and for us as Christians and what that means in our lives. And that's really what I want to do today is to spend a few moments talking about integrity. So the question comes, are you a person of integrity? Are you a person of integrity? Now, you know the answer to that question, of course. Now, you hold the key to your integrity. Every person does. Not the person sitting next to you, but you hold the key to your integrity. I mentioned last week you hold the key to your faith. Not someone next to you, you do. And just as much as you hold the key to your faith, you hold the key to your integrity. Now before you answer the question, am I a person of integrity, maybe we want to line up ten people that know you and ask the question, what do you think this person's integrity is like? might come just a little bit different, but maybe not, and hopefully not being the case. Now, in his writings, Chuck Swindoll wrote this. He said, do you put wire in walls? Do you repair cars? Do you work with numbers? Do you teach children? Do you sell clothes? Perhaps you practice law or medicine. The important thing is not what work you do, but whether you do your work with integrity. Are you a person of integrity? Christians are called to be people of integrity in a world that has no integrity. Give me an amen. D.L. Moody said, integrity is what you are in the dark. It's the character of the person. 
Our very own Oklahoman Will Rogers understood the meaning of integrity when he simply said, so live that you would not mind selling your pet parrot to the town gossip. How would you do with that one? Throughout scripture, we, we, we read of people that talk about or they are people of great integrity. Person that comes to mind would be David, even though he failed over and over again. Scripture says in Psalm 78 that he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pen. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. A man after God's own heart. It was a man that strived with his heart to be a man of integrity. Those that lead us are called to lead with integrity. That should be one of the top priorities of you, uh, of you, but it should be the top priority of a person that you are willing to follow in your life. Does this person, is this person a person of integrity? You cannot lead people correctly to the Lord without the desire of having a heart of integrity. Can't happen. Integrity keeps one from fearing the white light of examination, someone said. Daniel was this one that said, bring the examination on in his life. That's the wonderful thing about Daniel that we can learn here today. Daniel welcomed the examination of those that saw him. said, bring it on. If you look at Daniel chapter 1, as we did last week, and we began to tell the story again, is that if you remember... Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was allowed by God to go into Judea and Israel and, and basically put it to ruin and then bring in all these, if you will, prisoners at the time. And Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego were, were some of those men. They were brought in and they were put before, uh, they were going to be moved into the service of the king because they were supposed to be these great people. And in that process, the king says, I want you to feed them this choice food and this choice wine. Well, Daniel in verse number 8 simply said, I'm not going to defile myself before the Lord. And so in verse number 11, he begins to talk to the guard that's in charge of administering all these assignments from the king at the time. And he says to him, basically, examine us. He's asking this question. He said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, he says, please test your servants for 10 days. He says, all I want you to do is do a 10-day evaluation of us. Give us nothing but vegetables and and water. That's all we're asking for. Give the other guys, give them all the choice foods that the king wants them to have and all the stuff. And at the end of those 10 days, then examine us or check us out and see for yourself in this. Test and see for yourself in that process. Now, Daniel could not could only do that if he had a genuine faith relationship in the Lord that we talked about last week. You will not mind if you are examined by others if your faith walk is genuine in Christ Jesus. You will welcome it. Bring it on. Because you have nothing to hide and everything to be seen, which should be Christ Jesus living in you. Give me an amen. All right. So in that, notice that the three friends, his three friends, just in this few verses, his three friends never objected to what Daniel asked, even though perhaps it could have cost them their lives. They never objected. Why? Because they knew Daniel was a a man of integrity. Daniel had integrity, and a person of integrity is always worth following. That's a good piece of advice for somebody today. Now, the examination of your integrity, my integrity, the examination of our integrity can either bring great blessings or embarrassing results. And I've been on both sides. Anybody else? 
Now, at the end of the 10 days, as we continue down through the scripture, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men that ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and gave them nothing but vegetables and water. Now imagine that. Here's the guard. He is controlled, if you will, by the king. He is set in order by the king. But the guard is now willing to put his neck on the chopping block by disobeying the king's command or order because the evidence of Daniel's king was undeniably present. It's pretty awesome. When you stand true, when we stand true in our life, walk with Christ, there will always be an undeniable presence of the Spirit with you. You ever get around a person that's a Christian and for some reason you know that person and you see them and for some reason you just get this feel that you know that you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You ever do that with somebody? That's an amazing thing. It should be for all of us. We should get so close to Christ and so close in our relationship with Him and with God that when people see us, they know they're standing in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be awesome? Has someone said that about you lately? If there ever was a group of people that should display integrity, it should be those of us that call ourselves Christ-like Christians. That's us. But here's the problem with the integrity thing. Oftentimes, people see integrity as perfection. Integrity is not perfection. It's not at all. They're totally different. It is not sinless perfection. Integrity is not. A person with integrity does not live a life absolutely free of sin, for no one does. No one can. But you can be a person of integrity. And when you sin, there's something happens with a person of integrity. They are willing quickly to acknowledge their failures and their sin, put it on display, ask for forgiveness so that they can move on in their integrity of heart. There's a big difference. In Proverbs chapter 20, it says the righteous man walks in his integrity. What happens to the man that walks in integrity? It says there in this particular translation, it says, happy, fortunate are his children after him. If you walk in integrity as a Christian, a child of God, your children will receive blessings. Wow. You want blessings for your children? Say amen. Be a person of integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Trust in the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Works. It's a fingerprint. It's our fingerprint. It's a fingerprint that we leave everywhere we go in our lives. Can't help it. If you were fortunate enough to be raised by a father and mother of integrity, you along with me were truly blessed. That is one thing that I will tell you about my father that none of you in this room probably met. My father had a second grade education. And he wasn't this man that you want to come to and say, I'll figure all these things out. But I will tell you one thing about Robert Davidson. Anywhere you went in the community around where we lived, they would all tell you. And I would I would tell you this if it wasn't true. But it is true that when you talked about Robert or Lorraine Davidson, they knew they were people of integrity. And I have been blessed because my parents were parents of integrity. And I can only pray that I would live up just to a little of that. In my life. Some of you have been blessed that way as well. Some of you have not been blessed that way. You look back on your life and you say, well, mine wasn't like that, so I'm just doomed. No, you're not. You can change that because you hold the the key to your integrity. 
Isn't that wonderful? You can change that right now. It does not have to be a generational curse. It can be something that you change and you can change that starting today. Give me an amen. The question now becomes, are we passing the same integrity to our children and our grandchildren? What does your fingerprint look like? I have a message on that. I just happened to think of that and I wrote that in there. And I'd love to be able to pull that one back out, blow a little dust off and and and, and maybe preach that one again because we all have one. And how it works in our lives. But we'll move on. How much influence can a person of integrity really have on others? All through scripture and all through history we see apparently a lot. And in this story we find that as well. Fast forward to chapter 3 if you would with me please. Daniel. Daniel's three friends. They keep Now keep in mind if you walk by faith and this is important. If you walk by faith and are people of integrity you will face challenges. It comes with the territory. Welcome it. Embrace it. Because you know that you will be challenged by Satan and his demons. It'll always happen. If you're not being challenged with who you are in Christ Jesus, you better do another examination of your heart. Because it is guaranteed that it's going to come your way at some point. Some pressure is going to be turned up. If you will, the heat that we'll get to next week in our lives. Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide, 6 cubits wide, and set it up at the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, magistrates, and all the other officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. Now, this is a statue, not one that you just put on a mantle or on a, a shelf somewhere to look at. This particular statue is some 9 to 10 feet wide and 90 feet high of gold. No one was going to miss it, and the king wanted to make sure that no one was going to miss it. No one did. Now, once again, the king. Once again, the king is going to make everybody do what he says. That's what kings do. But it is also what religions do. Listen to this. That is what all false religions do. All of them demand that you do something for them. And if you do, perhaps, just perhaps, at the end, you might win the prize with 72 virgins or a beautiful butterfly instead of coming back as a ding or a, 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 a dung beetle. Think about it. That's what some people hang their hat on. We need to understand that Christianity is the only religion. It is the only religion that requires faith in what someone else has done and not what we have done. It's accepting what Christ has done. Hallelujah. Why? Because he's the one that did it perfect. We can't. We have to accept it. And by accepting it, it's in Christ alone. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, what's strange about this King Nebuchadnezzar at this time, that he would set up this, this huge idol. It's strange because of what has just taken place, perhaps days before this. What was that? Well, we skipped chapter 2 for a reason, because it emphasizes it now a little bit better. We go back to chapter 2. Notice, King, I call him King Neb, okay? King Neb, he was a, he was a guy who was the second year in his reign. So he's kind of new at this, but he's getting a feel of things. I'm the king and they're not. And so I'm going to do what I want to do. So Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Aha! 
he had dreams and in his mind he was troubled. He could not sleep. So he, the king summoned. Now notice who the king surrounds himself with. In the last chapter, or in chapter three, we saw all the, all the governors and all the officials and stuff. But notice now, because you're going to get a glimpse of what the king is really putting his trust in. He's putting his trust in who? The king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers. That's who his guys are. To tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said, hey, I've been troubled with this. So this dream so troubled the king. It so troubled the king that he was willing to do just about anything to get out from underneath the torment of this dream. It just kept eating at him and eating at him. When he sees this, this uh, that his so-called experts, these people that he calls in, he begins, and we're fast-forwarding through this chapter, but he sees that they cannot deliver. He is not a happy camper. In fact, you need to know something about old King Neb. He was not a good king, no matter how special he thought he was. Because, you see, he thought he was special because look what he had done. Seemingly, he had defeated the Lord's people. He had laid in ruin, and he was hailed a hero in Babylon. Look at our king. Look what he's done. We've silenced God's people. Now, keep in mind, this is important. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know that. God is using Nebuchadnezzar. God, keep in mind that God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to be successful to this point for God's purpose, not Nebuchadnezzar's. Nebuchadnezzar has no clue. All he knows is he ate something he should have ate, shouldn't have ate. He had some bad dreams and nobody can tell him what it's about. That's it. He was a hot-headed man and apparently didn't take much to get him fired up. We'll find that out next week. And this week, watch what happens. Now keep in mind this, and this is important, jot it down. God is at work in all things. Give me an amen. All right. But here's where we often get off track. It happens to the best of us. We often get so caught up in the stories and the characters in the stories and the uniqueness of the story or the excitement in the story that we forget and we read and we forget that God is in every line of the Scripture and actually in between the lines of Scripture as well. When the end of the book of Daniel was written, when the end of the Bible was written and it was given, God didn't stop and say, I'm done, you're on your own. God is still active today between every sentence that you and I put together in our lives. Give me an amen. We have to keep that in mind. So he always has a reason, God does, for what he does. Always. God doesn't do something and go, oops. God always has a reason for what he does. Now I'm gonna, for basically, he does what he does basically for two reasons. Somebody's gonna argue that point and say, well now just a minute, I counted 6,299. Well good for you, but I'm giving you two, okay? Here's the two. Basically for two reasons why God does what God does. Number one, God does what God does because it pleases God and it's for his glory, Psalms 115. Secondly, God does what God does for us to be drawn to Him 
Praise God for that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He did that for us. So he does what pleases him because he's God, but he does to draw us to him because it pleases him as well. Give me an amen. And aren't you glad that he's drawn you into his kingdom? Those of us that are Christians, aren't you glad that he's drawn you in? Aren't you glad that you listened to that message that somebody preached and you were touched in your heart and you gave your life to God? That's awesome. And if you pay attention, as my mom would always say, you will discover that he does some extraordinary, he does it in some extraordinary ways. Watch this one. Unique story. So once the experts couldn't interpret the dream of the king, he gets really mad. He gets so mad, in fact, that he's ready to wipe them all out. Not some of them. All those individuals that we talked about earlier that he surrounded himself with. I'm done with all of you. Heads off today. That's it. I'm done. So the experts come back. And they make their plea to the king. Because they don't want to lose their head. They don't want to lose their position. But now it's just more than losing a position. It's they're dying. So the experts come back and notice what they say, starting in verse number 10. The astrologers answered with the king, or the king. Well, there's no one on earth who can do what the king asked. You hear it? No king, however great and mighty, see there. Kissy, kissy. Now watch. Has ever asked such a thing. And the magicians and the enchanters and astrologers, all of us, we're trying to do our best. You're just asking too much. What the king asks is too difficult. We can't do it, king. No one can reveal it. Watch this. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among us, among the humans. Notice, our gods do not live among the humans. They're absolutely, positively right. All gods, with a little g, are fabricated. They're fictional. They're make-believe. They're made up. All of them. Our God is not a made-up God. Our God is not a fictional God. Our God is God. Amen? Our God is God. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. And the good news for the Christian is, He not only lives among us, He lives in us. Now, chop that one. That's pretty good. He's not just among us. Hey, let's call in Jesus here. Let's call in the Holy Spirit and see if he can get here about a week from Tuesday. No, he lives within me. Amen. Watch what scripture says there. We're looking at, um, uh, let's see, Jeremiah. There we go. Good. Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? You know what that tells me? You can't play hide and seek with God because you'll never win. Did you ever play hide and seek so well that nobody found you? Anybody? Apparently not. Gotcha. I do that one all the time, man. One of these days, everybody's going to just get that one, all right? But the truth is, you can't play hide and seek with God. You want to know why? Because there's no hiding from God. Period, declares the Lord. When the Lord declares something, that means it's finished. It means it's sealed for all times. And no one can change it. And then for those without, do not, do not I fill heaven and earth? Who does it? I do, declares the Lord, he says. That's the God that we have. And in Romans, it says that the Spirit of God lives in you. Praise God. Now, back to the story. The king orders all these wise men to be put to death. 
I just love teaching this story. Watch this. This made the king so angry and furious in verse 12 that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent out to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now they're included in all of this. So I mean, it's it's gone out wide. If I can't get people to tell me what's going on in my life, then I have no use for you. That's what he thought about people and his own people. A decree means something. A decree from a king means it's a done deal. It means sealed. It has to be carried out. But get this one. Even after an earthly king decrees is put out, keep in mind God can trump anything that man says. Isn't that good? In my life alone, and I'm sure you've seen this in other people's lives, that there was a certainty in something that was about to happen. But in an instant, God changed every bit of it. God did that. My father was diagnosed with lung cancer. My mother died of cancer, lung cancer. So I don't know why certain things are and certain things aren't. I'm not here to question that. I'm just thankful both of them were Christians and they're both with the Lord. My father was diagnosed with lung cancer when I was a young boy. The doctor said, we have to operate. It has to be removed. They prepped him for surgery. We went in a day before. I'll never forget it. And we, we, we go through the, all the prayers and the preacher was there and it was kind of formed for this like nine year old. He's trying to figure all this stuff out. What does all this mean? So we went early that morning so he could get into the surgery. The surgeons went in, and in just a few minutes' time, within 30 minutes or so, they came back out, and the surgeon, big, tall, black gentleman, and he was just, he was just amazed. And my mother thought it was bad news. But he said, sit down, I need to tell you something. And he simply said, you know, we've taken these x-rays, we've done all these things, and we've done all of this that's taken place. Your, your, your husband had cancer. But I want to tell you today, we always do before we do the surgery, we go in and we do all the tests, take all the x-rays, and he said, let me show you something. And he showed us one x-ray, and he showed us the next x-ray, and he said, this one says cancer, this one says no cancer, your husband can go home in about an hour from now. That is only God. Now you know why my mother and my father walked in integrity and belief and faith in God. It doesn't happen for everybody. I understand that. I don't know why it does for some and some others it doesn't. I know that God has a plan for all things, but I know that God can change things in an instant. So Daniel goes to the king. When Daniel goes to the king, he basically is saying here, he says, God, or he says to the king, my God can interpret your dream. Now the king is listening. Aha. Note. What you do in the name of the Lord can even save others from certain destruction. Do you know that? That's how much weight's on you as a Christian. That's how much power we can have as a people of God. That's true. How do I know that? In Proverbs 14, look at it right down there at the bottom. It says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Righteousness. No one's righteous. No, not one. But I am. And the reason why I am is not because of me. It's because of Jesus and what he did at the cross for me. 
We are the ones. We are the people that stand in the righteousness of God. That's why he's called us into his kingdom. Do I need to tell anyone in this great nation in which we live and are privileged to live that was built upon godly principles that they are fading fast? In a particular place in Boston, in the northeast there, they have a a particular area where people can come and basically do and say what they want to say. I think it's okay. There's an American flag that flies there. And if your group chooses to come, if it's a transgender group, you can fly your flag right next to the American flag. We allow you that freedom. If you're a hate group, if you're a communist group, they have flown their flags right next to the American flag. The city said there will be no Christian flag flying next to the American flag because it causes too much controversy. If we stand in the gap that God has called us to stand in, could it possibly be that we are the ones that save it from certain destruction? Well, I had a lot more to say there, but I better not say it. Here we go. After Daniel interprets the dream, the king is a believer. Somewhat, kind of, sort of, not really. That's not very good, is it? Kind of, sort of, not really? What does that mean? Well, the reason why I say kind of, sort of, not really is this. Watch. The great God, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 45 and following, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. In other words, he's saying, I'm at ease. I'm no longer tormented. I've got an understanding. God. Now watch. The king Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Even kings bow. He bows down and fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. We're going to talk more about that in the next week or so, about really how Daniel was truly blessed even when he was a prisoner. It's amazing how God works through that. Now watch. The king said to Daniel, surely your God, notice with the words that he says, surely your God is the God of gods. He's saying, surely your God is the gods. And he is the Lord of kings. He even puts him before himself. Because he has revealed these mysteries. Now notice this. We're about finished. Notice that you can say you believe in God. And even give homage to him. But that doesn't mean that you have surrendered your life to him as the Lord and Savior of your life. And there's where a lot of people are. In their walk. Oh, I believe in God. You betcha. He's awesome. God is good. But they've never, you've never surrendered your life to Christ. That makes all the difference in the world. And I say it's sad because right after this, old King Neb does something that's pretty stupid. Kind of, sort of, not really. It went away real quick. Chapter 3. Let's go there real quick. You remember that the king set up all this, this big old statue, right? 90 feet high. Everybody going to come in and do it. Verse number six, go on to the next slide. If you would, please. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. 
Therefore, as soon as they heard all this music and all these flutes and lyres and harps and all these kinds of music, notice what it says. All the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had set up. I find that interesting, that the king would do this. But I want to say something right here as I close. And again, I have more to say, but I'll, I'll just save it for next week. Everyone doing it doesn't make it right. Now, we all know that. That's what your mom and dad told you when you were growing up. And you said to your mom and dad, they don't know what they're talking about. Because you were a teenager. Anybody but me that said that. But because everybody's doing it doesn't make it right. they, They would always come back with, well, if they jumped off a cliff, would you follow them? What? Isn't that right? And what was your answer? Duh, yeah. I mean, no, maybe not. Whatever. Some people did. Listen, the world in which we live is bowing down to a false god. Bowing down to a false god. There's no doubt. And the false god is self and things. They are recruiting our children and our grandchildren as fast as they can. As fast as they can. And as Christians, we have got to take a stand. And be strong and courageous in our walk with God. For if we do not, we will find ourselves sucked into the lie as well. And many of us have. It becomes the norm for us. It becomes accepted by us. And God has called us to guard ourselves against those things. So you see, after all, Daniel is an interesting story, isn't it? And we've only moved through the first two chapters and a little bitty bit of the third chapter. You didn't know all that was tucked in there, did you? You need to read it again. As they used to say at some of the end of the, some of the episodes when we would be watching TV back in the day, it would say, to be continued. And that's what I say. Next week, we're going to look at authority. We're going to look at authority and the importance of staying within its boundaries and what that does for us and the blessings that come with staying in those boundaries. For if we're not within them, we will be devoured by the world that wants to devour us. Today, however, maybe you have a prayer request. Maybe you've been challenged by something that's been said or maybe something during the week, a song played on the radio or a scripture you read or something you said or something you saw or whatever that's, that's, that sparks something within you that you would love for your church family to pray for you and with you. That's what we're here for. We're trying to help each other stand in the gap against the world that wants to defeat us. So today maybe you have a prayer request and if you do, we're going to stand ready right now to pray with you and for you. If you've never received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, we beg you to listen to his call in your heart today. For if you do, then you can begin to live your life out with him in you. And you can be that person of integrity that he's called you to be. Whatever your decision is, whatever your request is, we stand ready to help you as together we stand and sing this song.